This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. We are both still here. Neither of us have been traded to another podcast. But the deadline, I guess, is Tuesday, and I hear there are some offers on Elon, though a lot of teams are lowballing right now. <laughs> well, for now, we're still keeping Carlson. Maybe we'll be traded to, like, the Keeping Carlson with a C podcast in the future, but probably not because right now he's injured. Okay, this joke is going nowhere, but this podcast is going somewhere because we've got so much to talk about this week. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website in the world. And if there's any time to be checking out Dauber Hockey on the reg, it is right now. Because right now, with all the trades happening, Dauber Hockey's on top of it. Every single time there's a trade, they come out with an article with the fantasy hockey impact. Which players does this help? Which players does this hurt? This is information you need to know if you need to grab someone or maybe think about dropping someone or selling high quickly before it's too late. You get all the information you need at DauberHockey.com. That is aside from all the regular stuff like line combinations, starting goalies, everything you need to get yourself into the playoffs and hopefully to win that championship. Yeah, you know, a lot of networks dedicate hours and hours of coverage to deadline day. So does Dauber Hockey, and they are actually my go-to. When I hear a trade that happens, I know that within the next 30 or 60, minutes, there will be a very quick but thorough article up on how it impacts every player. And you can actually go see for yourself. Go see how Dauber and his crew think Yuri Hoodler and Justin Schultz and James Reimer are about to be impacted by their moves in the lineup. And not just their moves, but their ex-teams. What's going to happen over there? And of course, Elon, that's what we're going to do on the show today as well. Yeah, for sure. That's basically how we're going to start the show. The first fantasy hockey headline of the week. So many trades. And let's start, I don't know, I'll try to rank these trades based on importance or fantasy impact, but really a lot of them have a lot of impact. But I want to start in Chicago. Chicago made a lot of trades. And the biggest one is they got Andrew Ladd from the Jets for Marco Dano and some picks. Let's look at the Jets first, though. So just around the time of this trade, we also found out that Brian Little is going to be out for the season. So this is a brand new look Winnipeg Jets team, right? They've lost Lad and Little, two people who were on their top power play for most of the year. Right now, it's looking like their top line is Wheeler, Shifley, and Ehlers. Shifley's the one who gets bumped up with Little out. Lad already wasn't on the top line, and Shifley, by the way, had a huge breakout game right after Little got injured. He had four points. But the question now kind of becomes, aside from Wheeler, Shifley, Ehlers, and I guess Bufflin... Who else do you really want on the Jets? Like, I guess Matthew Perot might get on the top power play now, but 
he doesn't really have many people to play with. The Jets, a team that we used to think had so much fantasy gold available, all of a sudden they look kind of shallow, which I guess could be considered good news for Marco Dano. Maybe he's going to get an opportunity to get into the top six, something he couldn't do in Chicago. He had three shots on goal in his first game with the Jets yesterday. Brian, what do you think about the impact on the Jets? Usually when a move is made in Winnipeg, the first guy, Elon, that you always look to is Drew Stafford, who hasn't been doing a whole (laughs) lot lately. And I just want to point out that he is right now on the second line with Matthew Perot. And it's maybe his spot that's a little bit in jeopardy, Elon, if you're expecting Marco Dano to make a push to end up on that second line. But the thing in Winnipeg right now is essentially they have one scoring line center on their team, and that's Mark Shifley. So you have Ehlers and Wheeler playing with him, and then you have Burmistrov and Lowry as the second and third line centers. Neither of them known for their scoring prowess, although they have shown little flashes in the past. They're not necessarily somebody you want your scoring winger playing with. So we might actually be looking to define the second and third lines well by ice time for sure, and by who the wingers are. And what I'm sort of guessing is that we're going to see a bit of a top nine in Winnipeg in the near future. I mean, Stafford and Perot definitely seem like the de facto second line wingers, but you look at a guy like Dano who has some upside and who the Jets clearly made the centerpiece of the trade, and you have to think he's going to get a look. And on the other side, on the left side, you have this guy named Joel Armia, who was the centerpiece of a big trade that Winnipeg made last year. He was a key piece coming back in the Evander Kane trade, And if you look at what he's done recently, he's coming on a little bit in some increased ice time. He started the year seeing, well, not ice time every game even, and then, you know, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Lately, he's up to about 15 minutes of ice time per game. He actually saw a season-high 19 minutes of ice time against Dallas on Thursday, but in his last game, he dropped back down to the 15-minute mark. But in his recent games, in his last five, he has two goals, three assists, five points, and nine shots on goal. And I feel like the Jets are going to use the rest of this season to see what they have in Armia and what they have in Dano. And how that impacts what Perot and Stafford get to do remains to be seen. But I feel like we're looking at a top nine situation in Winnipeg more so than we were before. Right. Okay, so I would say the takeaway here for the Jets is if Mark Shifley is available, I think his value goes up because he's playing with Wheeler and he's going to be on the top power play. Also, Ehlers, who was already on the top line and top power play, he's cemented there now. There was a game a couple weeks back where they put Andrew Ladd back on the top line for a little bit and was like, "Uh uh-oh, that's going to be concerning for Ehlers. But no, Ehlers is going to be there. Like you said, there's not really any other left wings that can take that spot. So good news for Ehlers and Shifley. I don't think I'd be rushing to grab Marco Dano myself or Perot or Stafford. We'll see. But okay, we need to talk about actually the main player traded here, Andrew Ladd. And I think it's interesting to discuss if his value goes up or down, because I assumed it's going to go up, because we talked about all year how it's surprising that Ladd hasn't been able to get top six minutes on Winnipeg. He was in the bottom six playing on the third line for a while. I'd assume right now he goes to the top line and he plays with Taves and Hosa once Hosa's healthy. Steve Laidlaw wrote an article on Dabur Hockey about the fancy impact of this trade. He actually said he thinks Ladd's value goes down because he doesn't have as much upside in terms of getting minutes on the team just because Chicago has more great players who are going to be fighting for those top minutes and top power play time. But I do kind of disagree, I think. Respectfully, Steve Laidlaw, I think that Andrew Ladd gets on the top line. He's now cemented there. Like, I don't think Chicago traded for Andrew Ladd to put him on the third line, unlike what they did with Patrick Sharp last year. I don't know why they had him there, but I think Ladd is going to be there on the top line, playing with Taves and Hosa. I expect good things from him. He's still a really good player. And of course, who this will hurt is whoever gets bumped from the top line, a guy like maybe Andrew Shaw, who's been getting some time there. Once Hosa's back, I'm not sure if Shaw is going to be able to stay in the top six. I am firmly in your camp, Elon, because Chicago has been looking for this top line left winger 
all season long. They tried to fill it internally. We were so excited about Toivo Teravainen coming into the year. Sadly, he has not been up to the task. Just 25 points in 59 games played for him in what has become a pretty disappointing first full season in the league. So his futility also gave Andrew Shaw several turns in that spot, and he's played a lot of time there and has come on a bit recently. But as usual, the story with Andrew Shaw has been, well, he runs hot and then he runs cold. And that's been how he's worked for the better part of the last three seasons while seeing occasional time up on that top line. I don't think he's the permanent solution either, even once Hosa gets back. So this move seems like it has a pretty clear motive to me, and that is to find a first-line left winger, and Andrew Ladd should be that guy, and I think that's really exciting. His line mates for now will be Taves and Shaw, or maybe Taves and Hosa once Hosa returns, and I think maybe where Steve Laidlaw might have been going with his thoughts and where I'm going with mine is that I don't know if this is necessarily an upgrade in value for Andrew Ladd. Moving from a line with, moving from playing most of the year so far with Wheeler and Little to playing with Taves and Shaw doesn't necessarily strike me as an opportunity for Ladd to produce more points. Yeah, except Ladd hasn't been playing with Wheeler and Little for quite a while now. Okay, but they've still been his most common line mates during the season, and it's been a disappointing season for him so far. So yeah, he might be guaranteed more top-line time in Chicago, which is great, but it's more with kind of a defensive-focused first line. Taves is really counted on to take care of the other team's top opposition while scoring a few points along the way. And in the meantime, we hope that Ladd is someone who can just sort of help himself through all of this. It's been a slow season for him, but he's strung together two three-game point streaks in February, so that offers some promise, and hopefully he can bring that with him on his way into Chicago. So to summarize, I don't think his value jumps a whole lot, but I do hope it stays the same as the little bits of promise we've been seeing from him lately. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like it's obvious that his value goes up because he hasn't been on the top line. But I guess at the same time, he did have four goals in his last three games with Winnipeg. So we definitely did his job of raising his value before getting traded. We'll see. I think if Ladd is a free agent in your league, if he was dropped because he was not on the top line and not having a good year, I think now is the time to definitely take a flyer on him, at least. And of course, we're talking about a shallow league where Andrew Ladd is a free agent. And you know, that's not the only trade that Chicago made. Chicago's been very busy in the past couple of days. Some minor players they picked up. They got Weiss and Fleischman from the Habs, and they got Christian Erhoff from LA. Brian, do you see any of these players having any fantasy value now that they've moved to the Blackhawks? I think Weiss and Fleischman will do a good job of rounding out Chicago's bottom six. And for any poolies who are really excited about Weiss, I've seen some notes that he might not get to play for about a week while visa issues are sorted out. Christian Erhoff is an interesting one because I do see one spot, maybe two, on the Chicago blue line where he might be able to cycle in for a game here and there, but I feel like that's what he's there for, sort of as a relief option, maybe a kick in the pants, some push on the bottom end of that defensive depth chart because he hasn't done a whole lot offensively in the NHL for a while, and they already have Keith and Seabrook who have proven themselves quite capable of handling some of the more offensive duties on the blue line. So maybe some experience, someone who can step in for maybe Michael Roosevelt or Eric Gustafsson if Chicago opts to change things up or if there's an injury, but I don't see him playing a key role with the Blackhawks in the last few weeks of the season or going into the postseason. And then I guess for the Habs, by the way, since they lose Weiss and Fleischman, you might be wondering if there's any notable changes there. They're back to their standard top line of Pacioretty, Gallagher, and Placanitz. Weiss had been in there shaking things up every once in a while, but I guess now we know that that's probably going to stabilize. The second line is Galchenyuk, Eller, and Andrew Ghetto. So maybe a good opportunity for Andrew Ghetto to stay in the top six. And you may think this isn't a great situation for Alex Galchenyuk, but hey, he has three goals in his last two games, even on this second line. So not too bad. 
Lars Eller, by the way, looks like he's filling in for the injured David DeHarnay. So we'll see what happens when DeHarnay is back. But I guess the main thing is if you have like Pacioretty, you hope now that he's going to be able to produce more because he's back playing with Gallagher and Placanitz, which are the guys he's been producing with in the past. Actually, Elon, I was the one off mic who reminded you that DeHarnay was injured, but I failed to point out that he is out for three months with a broken foot. So he's not coming back. And Lars Eller does probably have himself a nice little spot on the second line, he's been making some modest gains lately. Five points, 28 shots on goal in his last 10 games played, which is about as much as you can hope for from Lars Eller. He's probably a full-time second liner now, and playing with Galchenyuk, if Galchenyuk can keep rolling, that could make him a pretty deep streaming option for you if he's got a good schedule in an upcoming week. And by the way, he sort of does this week. He plays four games, but it's a very packed NHL schedule. So make sure that he's actually going to get to be in your active lineup for those four games before rushing to make a play. And like I said, playing with Galchenyuk, who has six goals, four assists for 10 points and 44 shots on goal in his last 13 games played, which is exactly what I was optimistically hoping for when I drafted him in a couple leagues at the start of the year. Lost patience since, but if you were more patient or if you made a play for him off the waiver wire, it's a pretty exciting time to own him. Yeah, I guess. So on the downside, I would be even more excited about owning him if he was on the top line, but we'll take what we can get. Next big trade to talk about, let's talk about Reimer being traded from the Leafs to the Sharks for Alex Stalock, and then there's a couple other players in there that we don't care about, but Reimer for Stalock. The big question with Reimer is that he's had a pretty decent season, not so great lately, but he's on the Leafs, so you need to ask yourself, is this good for Reimer or bad? He goes to a better team. The Sharks are clearly a better team than the Leafs. The Leafs are just in complete sell mode right now. They are slowly looking like a minor league team with the players on their roster, but of course now Reimer has to compete with Martin Jones for starts on the Sharks. Is there any chance, Brian, that Reimer can steal the number one job or become like a 50-50 guy? Or do you think it's definitely Jones is the starter and Reimer now is a for sure backup? I get the sense that there's a really good chance that Reimer can get into a 50-50 situation and steal starts from Jones. It's been a really uneven season for Martin Jones. People who drafted him have been on a heck of a roller coaster feeling the highest of highs and lowest of lows and all those up and downs have left Jones at the end of the day with a save percentage that reflects play that's been decent, but no better than average on the whole. And he's been able to hold a very good save percentage through much of the last two months, though, so he is sort of on the upswing at the moment. And I see Reimer as a safety net in case Jones falters again, kind of like a luxury safety net made of the finest materials, because Reimer (laughs) is not your average backup option. He is somebody who can play very well for long periods of time, and he's on the downswing too. He's sort of been up and down through the year as well, but again, like you said, Elon, he played on Toronto on essentially a minor league team. We can't expect a whole lot from any goalie playing there right now, so I'm not going to hold the last, you know, 10 starts against him. But when Martin Jones faltered earlier in the season, that's a little less forgivable to me because he was playing on a Sharks team that's been fairly consistent through the year in their offense and defense. So I feel like if Jones struggles again, Reimer has the chance to step in and keep going for as long as he stays hot. I don't see a situation in San Jose where they're going to be super loyal to Martin Jones because he's just shown up and he hasn't been terribly consistent through the whole year. And I feel like they're just going to go with whichever guy they believe can offer them the best chance to win every night. And I think Reimer's got a good chance of proving himself as being the one who can do that. Yeah, definitely what you're saying makes a lot of sense, Brian. And for sure, Reimer seems like he should be a much better backup than Stalock. And he is someone who can challenge Jones for starts. And if you're a Jones owner, 
you know, you might be a little bit worried now because maybe before you were guaranteed no matter how bad Jones did, he was going to still be the number one. Now there's a very capable backup. Maybe you need to get the handcuff or maybe you need to shore up your goaltending if you have been relying on Martin Jones. And yeah, if James Reimer's in your league, why not take a flyer? It's going to kind of be up to him, I think. I think if he could come in and put together a couple good starts in a row, that's going to make a big difference. I think that Reimer has the ball in his court right now to just show that he could be a really good goalie. And it'll be interesting to see how he can do not wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, which is not a very good jersey to be wearing if you want to be a successful goalie in the NHL. I don't think there's much point talking about the fantasy impact on the Leafs. You don't want a Leafs goalie. Bernier hasn't been that great. Unless you just need starts, I guess you could go for Bernier, but you're going to be blowing up your save percentage or risking blowing it up every single time he plays. And Lula Morello has made a point to say that they also want to see what they have in Garrett Sparks. They're going to use the rest of this year to figure that out. And remember the Leafs? are kind of happy to lose games in tank, so maybe they try out Garrett Sparks. Maybe there's another goalie in their system that they'd like to see between the pipes just to see what they've got in him, slash intentionally lose a couple games. So I don't even know that Bernier gets all the starts the rest of the way. Remember, Garrett Sparks came in, had a great run earlier in the year. Stoll starts away from Bernier, and I believe the Leafs are going to give him the opportunity to do that again. Okay, and let's move on to another team that made a lot of moves, just like the Blackhawks. Maybe their biggest competition at the trade deadline so far has been the Florida Panthers. It'd be interesting to discuss who has improved more. The Panthers in three separate trades, all for picks. They got Yuri Hoodler from the Flames, Teddy Purcell from the Oilers, and Jacob Kindle from Detroit. Obviously, the biggest name there is Yuri Hoodler, who has really been coming on lately after a super slow start, but he was playing on the top line, top power play on Calgary, and it was going amazingly for him. Now the Panthers get him, and I think these acquisitions really put the Panthers' lines in flux. And unfortunately, the Panthers haven't played yet, so we don't really know how things are going to shake out. But like, Hoodler's a right wing, and so's Yarmir Yager, so does Hoodler take the spot on the top line? Or maybe does Yager stay on the top line and Hoodler goes to the second line and plays with guys like UC Jokinen and Riley Smith, but he's a right wing? Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Also, right now, unfortunately, Huberdeau is injured, so we're not going to fully see how this shakes out, and we don't know exactly when Huberdeau is going to be back. Barkov is back, by the way. Side note. Pick up Barkov. We still get questions every once in a while about should I have Barkov or this guy? Barkov is amazing. He's an all-star. You want Barkov. But Brian, Yuri Hoodler, is this good or bad for him? I feel like it has to be a bit bad, right? Because he was in such a plum position on Calgary. I can't imagine he'll be able to do the same thing on a Florida team, which is a lot more balanced and has a lot more competition for that top line and top power play. Yeah, as a Hoodler owner myself, I have to say I scratched my head a little bit when I saw this, not because I couldn't understand the deal. It makes a lot of sense for both teams, but just about what it means for me as somebody who needs Hoodler to keep producing for the rest of the year. He's been a really key part of my team for the last month or so. And I agree with what you said before, which is that Florida's lines are sort of, well, maybe in flux right now, and we haven't seen a game yet to really get a sense of what's going to happen. So we can really only take our best guess. But if I had to guess... I would think that the Panthers are going to try and throw together more of a top nine now with their two new additions up front. So Teddy Purcell, let's start with him because he's the easier one. I feel like he has seen most of his success in his career playing with very good players on a top line. So being the third piece of a line that's already two thirds complete and very good. So I feel like he's not going to get that opportunity to do that in Florida anymore. So his value goes down. If you own Purcell, I feel like you should already be looking to make a move to swap him out for somebody you might hope would do better the rest of the way. Hoodler, on the other hand, is good enough to contribute as a first line player or a second line player. But right now in Florida, the top two right wing spots are taken up by capable right wings in Yarmer, Yager, and Riley Smith. And curiously enough, when you look to the third line, you see Nick Buell 
Bjorkstad, who Elon, we had a conversation about earlier in the year that I won't go into too many of the details for the sake of your pride and dignity. But Mm -hmm. Nick Bjorkstad would be a great center to play with if he was seeing second line minutes. And what I'm thinking might happen in Florida is that they sort of round their lineup into a top nine so that you have Yager, Smith and Hoodler all seeing regular time at even strength. And essentially, you're going to be judging the value of each one based on the centermen they're playing with and their time on ice. It sounds very familiar with what we said in an earlier trade analysis, but it's true. Yeah, and this one's even more confusing than with the Jets because Yager already had been moved off of the top line at times during the season. So clearly they are willing to shuffle things around. We're really going to have to wait and see. If you have Hoodler, like obviously don't drop him yet and, you know, don't completely panic. But I definitely don't think this is good news for you. I think this is bad news for Hoodler owners overall. But we knew this was going to happen, right? There wasn't going to be a better situation than playing with Monaghan and Godro available to him. And it'll be interesting to see how this affects these guys like Riley Smith and Yarmer Yager. Yeah, if there's one saving grace for owners of any of these players on the Panthers that we've been talking about, on the left side, you have Huberdeau, who's injured right now. He's been put on IR retroactively, so he could come back soon, but there hasn't been any word about an imminent return. So that's at least going to open a spot in the short term for somebody else to get a lot of playing time. Right now, the Panthers have Derek McKenzie in their top six, and you can't figure that that's the ideal situation. Somebody is going to shift from the right side to the left, and really, hopefully, everybody gets a good shot. At the end of the day, I want the players that are playing with Alex Barkov first, and then it's sort of a toss-up between Trocek and Bjorkstad. I feel like Trocek has just had the better player to work with this season in Riley Smith, well, and UC Jokinen, and Bjorkstad hasn't had a lot of help on his wing. With Hoodler in the mix now, with Florida being deep deep enough. I'm really interested to see how this shakes out. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about this more once the Panthers have actually played a game with their new players. We have a patron cast coming this Wednesday, so the patrons will be the first ones to hear our thoughts on the Panthers once they've actually played a game with all these new players. Let's also, Brian, talk quickly about some of the other players in the trade and their teams and how they're impacted. Like, if you go to the Flames, this opens up a spot, you would think, on the top line and top power play, like a great opportunity. We just talked about how great it was for Hoodler. The thing is, they've had this before, right? Hoodler wasn't on the top line all season, and like, in their last game, yesterday against Ottawa. It looks like the Flames put David Jones with Gojo and Monaghan on the top line, and they put Joe Colborne on the top power play with those guys. Joe Colborne actually scored a power play goal. Neither of them have really done much this year with the opportunities they've been given, so I wouldn't jump on these guys. But for short-term streaming ads, these are the guys that have the best opportunities on the Flames right now. Then you take a look at a guy like Teddy Purcell. Obviously, his value takes a nosedive. You're not going to do any better than playing with Holland Dreisaitl. Definitely, if you still have Purcell, you probably are going to drop him because he's probably not going to be getting even close to a similar opportunity on the Panthers. Though, of course, just like with the Flames, with Purcell out, that does open up a roster spot on the Oilers for someone to play with Holland Dreisaitl. And it looks like it's been Zach Cassian, and he actually scored a goal in that role a couple of games ago. So he's a guy to watch. I'd rather have him than the David Jones or the Joel Colborns, especially if you're in a league that counts hits, because Cassian's pretty decent for hits and a great opportunity for him. And he's someone that we don't really know yet what he can do playing with such prolific scorers. So it'll be very interesting to watch Cassian, I think, over the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. He was someone who had success in Vancouver when he was traded for Brandon Prest. Everybody was up in arms about it, saying this wasn't fair value back for the Canucks. And then, of course, things went off the rails with him personally. Seems like he's building his way back up. And I think the Oilers present a really good opportunity for him to do that with where he might fall in their depth chart. And just before we move on completely from the Panthers, Elon, you mentioned Jakob Kindle right at the start. I don't expect a whole lot of fancy value from him. I don't think anyone's making a rush for him. But while we're talking about the blue line, I did want to point out that Dmitry Kulikov has power play points in three 
straight games. He'd recently been taken off the power play entirely. Now he's seeing at least have his team's share of power play time on ice in the last five games on what's technically the second unit, but they're really mixed and matched a lot these two Florida Panthers power play units, and it's hard to really figure out which one is the best one. They pretty much share time with each other, and that's another entire perspective to wonder where Hoodler fits in. If he can crack one of them, I imagine he can with names like Logan Shaw right now in that power play group. Okay, Brian, let's talk about one more trade in this episode. There, of course, were a few others, but not with fantasy impact. I'm not sure if this one will have fantasy impact, but let's talk about quickly Justin Schultz to the Penguins. This is a guy who has been such a disappointment to his fantasy owners, if there are any left, and of course to the Edmonton Oilers. But you know, there was a time that Justin Schultz was a guy to be excited about. He had 27 points in 48 games in his first season. That was the lockout season. Then he had 33 points in 74 games the next year, which isn't too bad. Then, you know, 31 points, and now this year he only has 10 in 45 games. So obviously he hasn't been used. He was a top power play defenseman on the Oilers for a little while. And obviously he's not going to be the top power play defenseman on Pittsburgh. That's Chris Letang's job. But is there a chance that he can steal second power play unit time and maybe be used in an offensive role and maybe get some fantasy value back? Like, is this a good move for Justin Schultz? I said the Hoodler trade was a head scratcher for me as a Hoodler owner because I didn't know what necessarily it meant for him. This one is more of a head scratcher because I don't really understand why Pittsburgh would make this deal just off the top. If there's one thing they don't need, it's another guy who's supposed to be able to move the puck, but hasn't had a lot of success doing it. And also, by the way, he can barely play defense. I guess they're hoping to have another guy on the back end who can move the puck up, aside from Chris Letang and Ole Mata and I guess Trevor Daly to some extent. But I really don't see Schultz's fancy fortunes changing a whole lot while he's with the Penguins. The best I think he could hope for is to get some assists by playing behind that second line in Pittsburgh, which is very strong. But anybody hoping that he'll get any sniff of important power play time, uh, not looking so good. I mean, sure, he can step in in place of Trevor Daly or Ole Mata on that second unit. But the forwards on that second unit right now are Chris Kunitz, Matt Cullen, and Connor Sheary. Well, Brian, there is, of course, the one thing, which is that Chris Letang always gets injured. So there is the possibility that at some point Letang will get injured and maybe Justin Schultz could be the one used on the top power play. He's the one that has experience being on a top power play before. I guess Trevor Daly does as well. We actually had a question from a couple of patrons asking for next week. And by the way, next week, the Pittsburgh Penguins play five times. So if you have an important like week next week where you're going to be fighting to clinch the playoffs or to win your league's president's trophy, you might want to look at some Penguins. And people were asking, who would you rather take between Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz? I said that you might as well go with Schultz, see what he can do. Trevor Daly, what can we really expect from him? He's been on the Penguins for a while, hasn't done much. I'd be curious to just take the flyer on Schultz, at least for this one week where he's playing five games. What do you think? My first inclination was to say, well, why not Schultz? Why not see what he can do? Because Daly isn't doing much, but Daly is stealthily doing a little bit. In his last 10, he's got six points, only one of them coming on the power play, though. Gets a handful of shots each game, not really a blocker or a hitter. But in his time in Pittsburgh, so far this season, he has 13 points in 31 games, which puts him on essentially a 35-point pace. So I might actually be more inclined to hang on to him for this week, just to see how things shake out. I don't think he or Schultz are going to be much of a power play threat. I just want to see which of the two is going to get the most ice time. Yeah, and keep in mind, yeah, Pittsburgh plays five games. There are some other teams playing four games, which is pretty good also. So don't, like, just take Daly or Schultz over maybe a more proven point-getting defenseman just because they have that one extra game. But you never know. One extra game could make the difference. (laughs) 
And Brian, you know, with all of these trades that we've been talking about, it would probably be a lot of fun to go to a game and see one of these players in their new jerseys. And what a better way to get a ticket to one of these games than using our new sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is great because they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. And you know, Brian, with these other ticket sites, it's so confusing and frustrating because you see the price, then you get to check out, and it turns out there's all these hidden fees. You guys all know what I'm talking about. With SeatGeek, you see the price. That's actually the price that you're going to pay at the end. Yeah, I have gone to the trouble of having to create an account and then go through the entire checkout process to buy a ticket just to find out what the true price of that ticket is. No such problems with SeatGeek. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with huge fees at checkout. And while the prices are already good on SeatGeek, how about let's make it even better? SeatGeek is offering a $20 rebate to all Keeping Carlson listeners off their first SeatGeek purchase. You could go see Justin Schultz next week for $20 off. I'd rather see Andrew Ladd, but in any case, to get your $20 rebate, here's what you need to do. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Me tab on the bottom right side and click Enter Promo Code, then enter the promo code KEEPING, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Or you could use their website, and remember that promo code is KEEPING, as in KEEPING CARLSON, in order to get that $20 rebate. But okay, Brian, getting back to the show, we still have so much more to talk about. All we've talked about is the trades. There's still all the stuff that's happened in the league, in the actual games over the past week. Let's start with some injuries. Last episode, we talked about how Jake Allen was back, and this was going to make things really difficult for owners of Brian Elliott or Jake Allen, because Elliott had been doing so good. Is it going to be a tandem now? Eh, don't worry about it. The Blues, they figured it all out for us because, well, actually, Brian Elliott figured it out for us because he got injured, which is a shame for him, but at least now we know what's happening. So, Brian Elliott, he's out long-term. Jake Allen, he's your starting goalie. If you had Elliott, that really sucks and you need to find someone else. Probably his value is going to go down anyways, so it's not as if you should be totally blindsided here. The Blues did acquire Anders Nilsson. He got sent to the minors, but now he's been called up. He's going to be the backup for Jake Allen, but I'd imagine even though Allen has been shaky since his return, I can't imagine that Anders Nilsson is going to be stealing a significant number of starts. I think Jake Allen is the guy you could expect to start most of the games for the Blues moving forward. Yeah, Jake Allen has actually only been able to play one full game since he came back, and that happened to be his best one, which still was not great. I mean, he stopped 21 of 23 shots for a 9-13 save percentage, so not bad, not great either. And then, of course, his first game back, he came on in relief, stopped 15 of 17 for an 882. And then, like you said, last night, Ilani got blown up in Nashville, stopping just 19 of 23 for an 826 save percentage. So not looking good for him these days, although maybe he is still settling back in. But yeah, the silver lining in all this is that Anders Nielsen is not going to be pushing him very hard for starts. We have a very clear idea of what St. Louis's goaltending strategy should be the rest of the way, and that's Jake Allen getting starts pretty much as many as he can handle until Brian Elliott comes back. And if at that time Jake Allen is still struggling, maybe Elliott gets back in the net, but we're looking pretty far into the future before that's going to be an issue. For now, Jake Allen owner's Be happy, this is very good news for you, that Anders Nilsson and not, say, James Reimer was brought in to back him up. Yeah, and actually, I think now might be a good time to try to buy low on Jake Allen because he's come back from injury and been so weak. Maybe there's some nervous Jake Allen owners out there. So if you're approaching your trade deadline and you need a goalie, why not make a pitch to the Jake Allen owner? Get him now while his value is low. Maybe someone is still thinking that Nilsson has a shot of stealing starts. I doubt it'll happen. By the way, Brian, speaking of the Nashville Predators who destroyed Jake Allen in that game yesterday, I wanted to mention some players there who are really just heating up right now 
now. And surprisingly, one of those players is not Ryan Johansson. You would think that Ryan Johansson would be the main straw that's stirring the drink for the Predators, but he's actually pointless in his last seven games. And if you would have told me that Ryan Johansson was going to go pointless in seven games, I would have guessed that the Predators wouldn't be scoring very much in those games. But no, their top line is cold, but their line of Philip Forsberg, Mike Ribeiro, and Craig Smith had a huge game yesterday against St. Louis, like we talked about, but they've been hot for a while. Forsberg has 12 goals and four assists in his last 11 games, which is insane. Of course, he's not available for you, but Mike Ribeiro, who was slow for most of the year, he's really heating up as well. Nine points in his last nine games, all assists, four of them on the power play. So maybe you might want to be looking at Mike Ribeiro right now. I wouldn't worry too much if you're a Ryan Johansson owner, by the way. Anyways, what could you do? Like, I wouldn't sell low on him. But Brian, do you think that Mike Ribeiro will be able to keep up this surge of production that he's had all of a sudden? This is something we touched upon recently when we talked about how Kelly Yarncroc was doing very well and had moved up to that top line with Johansson and Neil. And at the time we said, keep an eye on Philip Forsberg moving to that second line because he sort of activates some value out of Mike Ribeiro and also Craig Smith. And that's exactly what's happening. We're seeing a lot of good things from that line, and I feel like that can continue. Remember, Mike Ribeiro has a lot of experience setting up elite wingers. I'm not necessarily saying that Philip Forsberg is the same level of the wingers that Ribeiro has spent time setting up in the past, but he's definitely a capable recipient of whatever setups that Mike Ribeiro can offer. He's looking more and more like a very good ad in sort of deepish leagues. A lot of people leave him on the wire because he's only center eligible, but this hot streak that he's on right now has been going on long enough that it's time to really pay attention to him and consider making that move. Yeah, the thing with Mike Ribeiro is he's, I think, better in leagues where it's scored by points as opposed to categories because, you know, an assist is going to give you some points and that's going to be valuable. In a categories league, he, like, only gives you assists. He's not going to give you shots. He's not going to give you goals. Maybe you'll get some power play points, actually, but, like, no peripherals. So his value is somewhat limited. Like, maybe he'll help you in assists. Obviously, he will. And if you need assists, go ahead and grab Mike Ribeiro. But if you're just in a straight-up points league where it's, like, you know, three points for an assist and four points for a goal or something, that would make me even more excited about grabbing Ribeiro. Good point, Elon. And we should say that top line, I still feel like everything is going to turn out well for them in the end. Ryan Johansson still does not have John Tortorella as his current coach, so I think he's going to be okay. He and James Neal both struggling a lot. You already detailed Johansson's struggles. Neal has just two points in his last seven. Kali Yarncroc, who was on a roll, has just one point in his last seven. I feel like they'll all get clicking a little bit again before long. Hey, there's some more buy lows potentially for your league's trade deadline. Maybe go after a Johansson or a Neal if their owners are getting nervous. Another big injury, Mike Camilleri, word came out that his hand injury, where he's been sort of like been rumored to be coming back any day now. Now all of a sudden news came out that he's way behind schedule. All of a sudden there's been a setback and he may even be out for the season. Obviously, a bummer if you're a Camilleri owner and if your IR spots are full and you need to make room for someone else in your IR because there's been so many injuries lately, it might be time to just dump Camilleri completely. And of course, this is bad news for guys like Henrik and Stempniak who were hot with him on that top line for most of the season. Since Camilleri has been injured, both of these guys have been ice cold. Henrik, two points in his last eight games. Stempniak, only one. I was gonna say before that maybe hold on to these guys because once Camilleri's back, the magic couldn't be rekindled. But at this point, I think especially Stempniak 
back is droppable, and maybe even Henrik in a more shallow league. Yeah, this certainly makes both guys more expendable. Of course, somebody's going to need to score on the Devils, but now I think we're looking at more of the Devils that we expected coming into the season, where the ceiling of the best player is maybe 55-60 points. It would be a little much to expect a pace above that from any of the guys who are left on the roster right now, including Stepniak, Henrik, or Zajac, and of course there are trade rumors of Stepniak leaving New Jersey, which would hurt the value of any remaining Devils even more. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about if Stempniak's value goes up or down once he gets traded again. Great place to hear about that will be on our Patreon cast on Wednesday. But, Brian, still more injuries. Here's another guy that we thought was back, John Carlson. Much like Camilleri, who we thought would be back soon, John Carlson came back, played a few games, now he's out again. Apparently he's re-aggravated the injury that kept him up before, and now they say he's going to be like four to six weeks. Like, it's going to be a while for John Carlson. Actually, more like three to four weeks, but either way, he's gone for the short term at least. A lot of people drafted him very high. Like, I was a big proponent of John Carlson saying he's a must-draft, you know, as a defenseman who gets you power play points in this amazing team and also gets you blocks. It's a real bummer if you lose him. You're losing, like, one of your top two guys. Again, just like last time he was out, this bumps up Matt Niskanen's value. He's going to be back on the top power play. But Brian, one defenseman on Washington that we wouldn't have expected to be producing, but is all of a sudden one of the hottest defensemen in the league. What's going on with Brooks Orpik? Or as one of our patrons, Brian, called him, Brooks Scorpik. He's got two goals and four assists in his last six games. He was actually injured before that. So these are his six games since returning. He's turned into a whole other player, the highest scoring defenseman on Washington Plus, he has 23 hits in that span and 16 blocks. And he's the kind of guy we've been depending on for a while now for hits and blocks. But the fact that he's able to put the puck in the net just totally changes this guy's value. Is there any chance of this production from Brooks Orpik, Brooks Scorpik, is somewhat sustainable? Or do we think for sure this isn't going to last? You say, Elon, that maybe he suddenly turned into a scorer, but I don't think that's possible. A guy who has never scored more than two goals in an entire NHL season, it's probably not going to blossom suddenly into an offensive defenseman. Yes, Brooks Orpik has just surpassed his career high in goals scored, now has three on the season, thanks to those two wins recently. I don't think a lot more are going to come for him. It's been very good for him to pick up some points along the way. Very exciting for everybody involved, especially his owners who have him for his blocks, but don't count on that continuing to happen, even with Carlson out. Yeah, it is, though, worth pointing out that with Carlson out in the last game, Orpik's minutes did skyrocket. He went up to 24 minutes and 44 seconds. So maybe that won't lead to the points keeping up, but at least that gives him more opportunities for hits and blocks. And in that game against Minnesota, he had a goal, eight hits, five blocks. Very exciting for people in multi-cat leagues. But yeah, I wouldn't expect the scoring to keep up, but it is very unexpected. Six points in six games for Brooks Orpik. I would have never bet on that. How about another defenseman on Washington? Dmitry Orlov has six points in his last seven games. Who are these guys on Washington? Is it just like anyone on Washington is capable of getting points? We were talking about Carl Alsner before, who was on a hot streak. He's slowed down. But is there any value to Dmitry Orlov? Do we think he could keep up this offense? He's, of course, not the hitter or blocker that Orpik is, though he does have five blocks in his last two games, so he's not completely useless there. No, he's not going to keep this up. He's still going to keep getting one or two shots a game, not a ton of peripherals. Maybe some points, yeah, just by being on the ice with some talented players while they're scoring goals. But he and Orpik are not the straws that stir the drink for the Washington Capitals. Those guys up front are going to put up goals regardless. If they happen to touch the puck once or twice before that puck goes in the net, 
then hey, that's great for them and their owners, but I imagine their owners are very few, especially those of Orlov. Some people might be asking, well, with Carlson out, maybe one of them gets a step onto the second power play, and I can tell you that the only other defenseman who's seen any kind of reasonable power play time this season has been Carl Alsner, so you'll probably have Niskanen on the top unit, maybe Alsner or Chorney. I don't see Orpik or Orlov really fitting the profile of a power play quarterback. I don't really see any of these guys fitting that profile. I think Matt Niskanen is going to be getting a lot of power play time right now. And hey, if you had to pick one of these guys, like between Orpik, Orlov, and Alsner, I'd take Orpik, especially in that multi-cat league. But also he's just getting the most minutes, so I would expect him to have the most opportunity for points if you were really going to dig that deep for a Washington defenseman and looking for offense. Another guy, just like John Carlson, who we thought was done with his injury, but clearly is not, Justin Falk injured again he came back for like one game was completely ineffective now he's back you know they say day to day but i'm getting very nervous i think this might be for a while in his absence the guy getting on the top power play has been noah hannafin this is of course his first year in the league and you know he's been doing pretty well as a rookie defenseman getting decent minutes not like over 20 minutes a game but more like 17 and a half average per game but maybe he'll get an uptick with falk out and hey he scored a goal against boston in carolina's last game a power play goal so maybe he's someone to at least add to your watch list while Falk is out. Carolina has been scoring a lot of goals lately. Of course, a lot of them have come from Jordan Stahl and his amazing hot streak, which, by the way, has started to slow down a little. No points in his last two games. So, Brian, maybe you were onto something last week saying not to jump on the Jordan Stahl bandwagon. But yeah, I guess if you need a defenseman and you're in a really deep league, especially if you've lost Justin Falk, maybe it's time to take a look at Noah Hannafin. Yeah, four points in his last eight games, two of those coming on the power play. So it's been a decent two weeks for Noah Hannafin. If you're looking for who else might be getting power play time on Carolina, the answer to that is John Michael Lyles. However, he is on the second unit and doing not much with the time that he is getting. So I feel like Hannafin is your option if you're looking for an emergency power play quarterback. And then that's it. Don't even bother looking deeper than that. And hopefully Falk comes back soon and can really get that power play going. Yeah, and really, if you need an emergency power play defenseman, you might have better options. And Brian, here's one. Here's a guy who we left for dead just recently, but now all of a sudden he's surging. Mark Streit, he's still there. He's still on Philadelphia. And with Giroux injured before and now Voracek injured, he's been getting top power play time. Philadelphia has been using two defensemen on the power play for the first time in like forever. So both Ghost Bear and Strait have been there. And hey, Strait had three assists yesterday against Arizona, including one power play point. He also had a power play goal the game before against Minnesota. All of a sudden, he's been taking a ton of shots. Like, he had six shots in the game three games ago against Carolina. He's even getting blocks, which is something he hadn't done for a while. Four blocks yesterday against Arizona. So all of a sudden, Mark Strait is jumping onto our radars. Overall in the season, it's been brutal, right? 16 points in 42 games. Before these last two games, that was 12 points in 40 games. So I guess the two questions are, one, while Mark Strait is on the top power play, is he worth owning? And maybe is he even worth owning afterwards? Like, is he finally getting his game together after coming back from that injury remember that was a pelvic plate displacement or whatever it was injury like not a comfortable sounding thing so maybe he was working his way back into game shape who knows but finally some production out of mark stride and brian what do you think his value is moving forward and of course the big caveat is that he might even get traded by the time you listen to this podcast well elon you had a lot of the sounds right about that injury but the actual words were pubic plate detachment which sounds even more painful than whatever it is that you just described. But I think you covered everything that there is to be said about Mark Streit. It's really exciting to see him back on that first power play unit, and it's good to see that he's still got it. 
He's not suffering because he's not good anymore. His production has suffered because he's not getting onto that top power play and the Voracek injury. Thankfully, the Flyers had the good sense to put him up on that top unit instead of replacing Voracek with another forward. How long can this last for? Well, I'd say it can last for as long as Strike can stay on that top power play unit in Philadelphia. So when Voracek comes back, his value goes back down. But Voracek's injury is kind of weird right now. And Giroux just came out of this sort of weird injury as well. So really murky injury situations in Philadelphia. I don't know that they're going to rush back Voracek from whatever it is that he's out with, which is good news for anybody looking to add Strike in their pools. I also get the sense that this is a bit of a showcase to see if they can trade him. However, he does carry a salary cap hit of over $5 million going into next season. A lot of teams in contention don't have the ability to take on that sort of salary burden. And so either Philadelphia is going to have to retain a lot of money that they send out, or they're going to have to find a team that has a lot of cap space or clears cap space somehow, or Strite is going to finish the year in Philadelphia on the second unit, assuming that Voracek is healthy. Hey, Brian, let me throw a scenario at you. Let's say Mark Streit gets traded to, say, the Detroit Red Wings, who have Mike Green and Nicholas Cronwell, both who have been pretty ineffective in their roles as top power play defensemen. Do you think that would increase Mark Streit's value if he all of a sudden became the power play quarterback on Detroit? I think it would, right? Yeah, for sure. There are a few teams in playoff contention that would give him a boost in value because they do need somebody to sort of step up. Like you said, in Detroit... Green has been ineffective to say the least. has been a very, very disappointing season from him. Cronwall can do it, but he's not best suited to do it. And the other teams that I can think of who are in playoff contention that could use his services, salary cap issues notwithstanding, maybe the Islanders would welcome him back to Long Island. Although Letty has gone on little runs here and there, and Boychuk is also fairly capable, so they might not need him a whole lot. The other team that comes to mind that could use a power play quarterback. Actually, I don't think there is one unless the Sharks want to move Brent Burns into forward so that Strike can be the defenseman on that line. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm really stretching here. I feel like Strait probably doesn't have a whole lot of opportunities of places to go where his value does rise. So if you're looking to add him, it's probably more of a short-term play. Yeah, but we'll see. If he gets traded, we'll discuss it. You can check out Dauber Hockey and read their analysis right away. But speaking of defensemen who are scoring points when they hadn't for so long, we talked about Brooks Scorepick. We talked about Mark Streit now. One more going really down the list of guys you wouldn't expect. How about Zach Bogosian on Buffalo? Overall, just 14 points in 46 games on the season, but that has been buoyed by five points in his last four games. Three goals and two assists. Maybe it's a coincidence that this has come with Cody Franson being injured, and Bogosian actually has two of those five points are on the power play. They were both against Pittsburgh a few games ago. Do you see any possibility that Bogosian's production can keep up, or do you think this was just a really short burst? It was actually just two games of those four where he had points, and he had multi-point games in both of them. He does give you some blocks, so he has some value there, but... Brian, yeah, any chance that Bogosian could keep putting up these points? Three of those points came in one night against Pittsburgh. Two of those three points came on the power play, and that might be a key for him to be able to sustain this sort of point pace. I don't think his odds are great, but if you do look at the share of his team's power play time that he is getting, he's seeing more consistent power play time than he has at any other point this season. There are times where he's been off the power play entirely or just seen a few seconds here and there. But lately, he's been seeing shares of 30, 40, and even a game where you saw 50% of the Sabres' power play time. So if you're looking to add him, keep that caveat in mind. Check his power play minutes every game, and if they subside again, then it's time to lose him and search for somebody else. 
Yeah, obviously Ristolainen is the top power play guy there, but with Franson out, yeah, it is an opportunity for Bogosian. And this next guy, not a defenseman, but a guy who, you know, you add to your team because you want to get defenseman-like peripherals. I have to mention Matt Martin. Matt Martin! The guy who people only own in leagues that count hits. He plays like less than 11 minutes a game, but somehow he's on a three-game point streak. Cool. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even going to ask you if he's worth adding for the points. Like, I don't think that he's going to keep it up. He had an assist in his last game against Calgary in 8 minutes and 38 seconds of play. So he's not being used in an offensive role. The hits are, of course, coming at a huge rate. He gets like 4, 5, 6 a night. Actually, only 2 and 2 in his last two games. So he's a bit on a cold stretch there, but I guess he's too busy scoring points. But yeah, I thought I'd mention it. But obviously, yeah, don't add Matt Martin unless you need his hits. Let's take a break from players on hot streaks. Let's talk about a couple of goalies quickly. Then we'll jump back because I still have some more players. But Brian, there's a few goalies to watch right now. And one in particular, Michael Neuverth, has been getting starts over Steve Mason in Philadelphia. And, you know, I guess we've talked about this earlier in the season. They were jumping back and forth. And at one point, I remember you said, even though Neuverth was getting some starts near the beginning of the year, you said eventually you thought Steve Mason would take the job. And you were right. He did for a while. But Mason got injured for a bit, came back, hasn't been too good. And Neuverth has taken advantage and started five of Philadelphia's last six games and has done very well. He won, actually, his last two starts with very good save percentages in the process. Has Michael Neuberth at this point stolen the job from Steve Mason? And if he's a free agent in people's leagues, should they be looking to grab him? You know, if this year there was more of a seller's market for goalies, I'd be very confident in thinking that the Flyers are really just showcasing him for a potential trade. And that's why he's seeing so many starts because Mason didn't really do anything terrible to lose the mantle of number one goalie. He had a game where he gave up three goals, cramped up, and left the game, which I don't hold against him. If we wipe that from his record, he's actually been reasonably average or better on a consistent basis for the last while now. And while Neuwirth is really doing well, maybe the Flyers feel like they can't take him out of the net, but I definitely don't think he's taking over as number one goalie. Though, if the Flyers do have a lot of back-to-backs in your playoff weeks, which I haven't checked yet, he would be a good goalie if you're looking for extra spot starts. I mean, Brian, the Flyers have won four of their last six games, and those have all been wins for Michael Neuverth. So if they want to win, if they want to try to push for the playoffs, why wouldn't they stick with Neuverth? They are somehow only three points out of a wild card spot. So maybe there is something to that. Maybe they do feel desperate. And as long as Neuverth is playing well, they're going to start him. But yeah, I already kind of said that. And I think that when he falters, Mason is still the guy. Okay, definitely someone that you should be watching. And if you are desperate for a goalie, Neuvert is available. Good option to grab right now, I would say. In a similar situation is Yoni Ortio, who ever since Kari Ramo got injured, we were saying maybe Hiller's going to be the guy, but the Flames don't like Hiller and Hiller's been having such a brutal season. Ortio has actually started the Flames' last three games. Two of them were really good, even though he lost them. Then yesterday, he was doing well until the third period when he let up a hatcher to Mika Zibanejad in that third period ended up letting in five goals ended up being a brutal start for him I I was actually watching that game Brian and he was looking really good in those first two periods making some really key saves I thought okay this is it forget about Hiller Ordeo's the guy for the Flames moving forward I kind of still think that might be the case but that game maybe put some of it into doubt but in general I think at this point at least you have to say that Hiller's job is far from certain and if you rushed to pick up Hiller when you saw that Rama was injured it's not a sure thing anymore I don't think it was ever a sure thing. I know the Flames want to start anybody they have other than Jonas Hiller, but Ordeo is making that 
increasingly difficult on them by blowing games in which they enter the third period with a two-goal lead. You might like some of his save percentage numbers recently, but at the end of the day, he is 0-5 with two overtime losses on top of that. So in games where he has been the goaltender of record, that's seven of them, he has zero wins. Of course, starting for the Flames isn't necessarily the easiest job, but I don't think Ordeo did himself any favors with his performance last night, and I think you might be a little overly hopeful in thinking that he still gets a look as the number one goalie. I think they have to go back to Hiller at some point. Yeah, and then Hiller's gonna have a brutal game himself, and then they'll go back to Ordeo again. I guess I'm saying neither of them are sure things, but definitely Hiller is the one I'd want least. I'd want Ordeo moving forward if I was just trying to guess which Flames goalie is gonna get the most start. I hate guessing which Flames goalie is going to get the most start, so I would just leave them both out of my mind so I don't have to think of them. And on the other side of backup stealing starts from the supposed starting goalies on their teams, last week we talked about how Thomas Grice was stealing starts from Yaroslav Halak on the Islanders, but the ship seems to have been righted. Halak has been amazing over the past week. We talked about how he had that shutout against New Jersey that we thought maybe would be the start of something. After that, he had two great games, two wins against Minnesota and Calgary. At this point, I guess Halak has once again taken back the job of number one goalie. Grice is back to being a backup, still a very good backup. And when he does start, he's the kind of guy that you want to grab for that spot start. But it is looking like Halak is making a case to remain the number one goalie, getting the most starts on the Islanders. Brian, if you had to choose someone right now, who would you take between Neuwirth and Grice? I would probably take Neuwirth for the short term. It's unfortunate for Grice that just as he was starting to gain some traction and it looked like he was ready to deal the knockout blow to any chance of Halak being the undisputed number one in Long Island, Halak came back with a shutout and then two incredible games where he let up just one goal on 30 or more shots. And so now he seems to be back in the driver's seat. For the Islanders, he changed his mask. Maybe that had something to do with it. So for that reason, I would take Neuwirth in the short term over Grice. But again, in both of these NHL cities, the goaltending seesaw can change frequently and without warning. So your best bet is to keep an eye on all the news and developments that you can find from Flyers and Islanders beat writers. Let's get back to some skaters on hot streaks. Brian, we have to mention Brandon Dubinsky on Columbus, who just keeps on putting up reliable production. In fact, he had that 10-shot game against Buffalo last week. And then after that, I was thinking of actually picking him up in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Ended up deciding against it partially because of your advice. Since then, four points in four games. He's just every game putting in a point. Also four shots yesterday against Florida. So he is keeping up those shots a little bit. I just feel like he's the kind of guy, Brian, that you've never really gotten behind. Has this current point streak changed your mind about Brandon Dubinsky? I think of him as like a 60-point player if he could stay healthy. Curious to know if you agree or if you still think of him as more of a 50-point guy. Brandon Dubinsky has had one season in his entire career where he has been on a 60-point pace. That was last season, mind you, so that works in your favor. But in his career... His high in points at the end of the season is 54 points. So I don't know why all of a sudden we're calling Brandon Dubinsky a sure shot 60 point guy. Well, now he's the number one center. He used to be a second line guy. And he's on a 55 point pace that's pretty much in line with his career output. So I'm not getting terribly excited about Brandon Dubinsky any more than I would have before. I don't think I've ever really shortchanged him a whole lot. Unless you are asking me, Elon, if he's like a 60 point guy with 65 point upside. I see him as a 55 point steady contributor to your fantasy team. More of a depth guy. You don't want him being one of the main contributors to your team. And Elon, if you compare what he's done recently to what Jason Pominville's done recently, you said four points in Dubinsky's last four. 
Pominville has five points in his last four. Who do you prefer? Right, yeah, Pominville was the guy that I picked instead of Dubinsky, and I guess you're right. Pominville's been good, so I can't blame you too much. I'm interested, though, to rank Dubinsky with some of these other players that we've talked about or we're going to talk about in this episode. Like, in the same tier, I'd say, is a guy like Mike Ribeiro, who we talked about before. Who do you see getting more points moving forward? Both of these guys seem like the types of players that would be available in a lot of people's leagues that are, like, right on the top of people's watch lists. You know, they're pretty similar in their power play time on ice, but Dubinsky has the edge at even strength. And for me, that's what it would come down to. Who's going to get more opportunities to score? I think at the end of the day, Dubinsky is the guy who gets more of those, even though I think Ribeiro is probably the more talented centerman. Interesting. Okay, and maybe another guy now that I want to add to this comparison, another player on a huge hot streak. How about Matt Bolesky on Boston? Five goals and one assist in his last four games. And this is from the third line, playing with Jimmy Hayes and Ryan Spooner. But that hasn't stopped Bolesky from producing. Overall on the year, Bolesky's been a very average guy to own in fantasy, you know, just basically a half point per game pace, but really surging lately. Do you think this is like fleeting production or is there something to this current streak by Bolesky? Bolesky has been about a half a point per game guy over the course of the season. So I think you can keep counting on that, but you can't count on production at the rate that he's currently going. His shooting percentage in this last little stretch has been well above what it has been all season and actually for his entire career. So you can expect to see some little bumps here and there, although time is running out this season. I won't count out the possibility that he does have another run or two before the season's done. But if you're looking for consistency and reliability, then Bolesky is probably not your guy. Yeah, so you'll put Dubinsky and Ribeiro above him. I'm curious to know where you'll put David Pasternak there, because there's another guy on Boston who was doing nothing for a while, but just recently also heating up two assists against Columbus, then two goals against Pittsburgh on seven shots. Then in his last game against Carolina, he went back to doing nothing. But, you know, he's a guy playing on a good line, like as opposed to Matt Bolesky, who's playing with average players. Pasternak's been playing with Louis Erickson and David Krejci. Of course, the rumor is that Erickson will be traded, so maybe that'll be switched up soon. But in the meantime, like even between just like Pasternak Pasternak and Bolesky, would you take Pasternak? I think I would. I would take Pasternak, but I'd still take Dubinsky or Ribeiro first, just because Pasternak is in a really good spot in his lineup, sure, but so are Ribeiro and Dubinsky, and they are taking better advantage of it. I don't doubt that Pasternak might be able to get there, but his current value is definitely lower than those guys, just because he has only those two multi-point games in his last seven, no other points outside of them, and his shot totals are not consistent either. He had the seven-shot game like you mentioned, but he had no shots the game before and only one shot the game after. Okay, and one other guy to add to the discussion. I think he might be a contender to compete with Ribeiro and Dubinsky. Let's talk about Andre Palat on Tampa. He's a guy who I was very close to considering a snoozer. Like, we've gotten so many questions on Twitter of, should I drop Palat for this guy or that guy? Every time there's a new hot player that we talk about on the show, it's like, should I drop Palat for this guy? And I've been saying all season long, no, hang on to Palat. He's really good. He's in a good situation. He should heat up. And finally, he has. He has four points in his last four games. He's playing with Kucherov and Tyler Johnson on that awesome triplets line. Finally heating up. But is it too little too late for us in terms of predicting his fantasy value for the rest of the season? How would you compare him to those two other guys? Well, this is the tough one because at the start of the year and even three months into the year and you know what even today I still think Palat has more upside it depends on how much of a risk you're willing to take Palat shouldn't be the risky play here but it's just been an anemic season of production that has never really shown a whole lot of vitality too many signs of life until recently he has four points in his last four games and I'm going to take that as a promising sign he is the sort of player who might put up a short run like that in a huge drought 
and be able to reliably keep it up because we've seen him do it before and we know he has the talent and the line mates and deployment to do it. So if you're willing to take a little bit of a risk, I would take him ahead of all these guys. But if you really know you need to have dependable production, if you're willing to take a 55-point pace over a 60 or 65-point pace that might not come, in that case, you might prefer Dubinsky. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, it's going to be up to Palat and the last month or so of the season to determine what his draft position will be next year because he was drafted really highly in a lot of fantasy drafts this season. Right now, I think he would go a lot lower, but I think he still has time to prove himself, and I think he will. I think I would go with Palat of those guys right now. Before we end the show, a couple of outjuries to report. Nicholas Cronwall, who we did bring up before, he's back for Detroit. He actually had two assists yesterday against Colorado. One of them was on an empty net goal. He's taken the power play time back from Mike Green. They're both now like 50-50, actually. So maybe Mike Green's power play time hasn't gone down, but he's basically as if he's not even on the ice because he just doesn't do anything, it seems. And now with Cronwell back, I definitely think if you have Green and Cronwell's available, I'd make that swap. And maybe you also want to look at Nicholas Cronwell if he's a free agent in your league because he does have like, you know, the most ice time and the most power play time on Detroit most nights. I agree. At this point, you want Cronwell over Green, even though, as we said earlier, that Green was supposed to be the guy this year to really take the reins and be able to revive his career in Detroit. That just hasn't happened, and there's no place on the score sheet where he's contributing reliably in a way that Cronwell can't. The most consistent place he puts up anything more than a zero or a one is in hits, and Cronwall can take care of those just fine. He doesn't block a ton of shots. He doesn't take a ton of shots. He had a little bit of a run through January. Six points in 11 games. But aside from that, this season has been fairly bleak for him, especially the last month or so in February. He's played 11 games again, has just two goals, and those came towards the start of the month. Only 17 shots in those 11 games. I have been someone who's hung on to Mike Green all season. I dropped him today because I'm just done with it. Yeah, I dropped him too. I dropped him for Mark Streit. Me too. (laughs) Maybe that's because we both talked about it before the show and agreed that we were both going to do that. We need to always have one defenseman in common in the cupful. So right now it's Mark Streit instead of Mike Green. The other big outjury to report, maybe actually much bigger news, maybe he should have been the first outjury to report, Evgeny Malkin is back. He played in Pittsburgh's game yesterday against Winnipeg. He didn't get any points, but he did definitely help his line mates because he's back with... Kessel and Haglin. Kessel had an assist. Haglin, two goals. So definitely if you dropped Carl Haglin before, you were smart to do so because without Malkin, he really didn't have too much value. But now that he's back with Malkin, I think he's once again worth a look. Like I said, two goals yesterday. And also, like we said earlier in the show, Pittsburgh plays five games next week. So if you were ever going to try out Haglin for a run, next week would be the time to do it. On one hand, that is definitely my reflexive thought about Pittsburgh's week coming up. But with two back-to-backs amongst those five games and a fair amount of travel, at some point you have to figure that the law of diminishing returns is going to kick in, that come game three or four, this team is going to be gassed. They're going to be tired. So you might be getting a game out of them but they might only be playing at about 50 or 60% of their abilities because of how little rest and how busy their week has been. I don't have any numbers or stats or research to back this up, but it's just a thought off the top of my head. That said, I wouldn't shy away at all from picking up Haglin in a league where he's available and he'll play at least three games for me this week. It's great news for him that Malkin's back in the lineup. It'd be even better news if he could sneak his way onto that second power play unit, which seems like it should be inevitable. Hasn't happened yet. Something to keep an eye on. Also, of course, this is good news for Phil Kessel, who definitely hasn't had the year that we were expecting him to have. But 
I project he's going to have a good, strong finish to the year. Maybe a good buy-low candidate at the trade deadline to go with those other guys. Though he has been heating up a bit more lately. Four goals and eight points in the 12 games since the All-Star break. There was another Penguins player who came back from injury yesterday, Nick Bonino, and he actually got an assist. So in a very deep league, he's another guy I guess you could look at for this five games next week. But I probably would pass. Oh yeah, and another outry, Brian, which we have to mention, this isn't outry, this is probably not even going to be an outry, but something we have to mention, a potential guy that might be showing signs that he could potentially play, Carey Price, was skating with pads! Everyone got really excited the first time he skated with pads. So, for you Carey Price owners holding on, there you go, skated with pads. I hear he only fell once or twice too. No, no, it's fine everyone, don't worry, Price didn't fall. And hey, Condon's actually been pretty good lately. We talked about Scrivens potentially stealing the net from Condon. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen now. Condon's back to being the number one goalie. Brian, one last thing to talk about on the episode. Did you hear that the word out of Toronto is that William Nylander is going to be called up after the trade deadline and he's going to have his NHL debut with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that is very exciting for a player who a lot of people are seeing as the future of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're going to get a chance to see him this year, it appears. Should Pulis be looking to grab William Nylander? Obviously in a keeper league, you probably already have him if he's the kind of guy that would have value for you. But is there any chance he can produce this year on this very depleted Toronto Maple Leafs team? At the very least, he should be able to get some decent ice time. It's not as if he's competing with all-stars. Yeah, and a team where Colin Greening has been seeing power play time and is playing on the second line as well, there's probably room for a guy like William Nylander to come in and be able to show what he's got. He's already proven himself quite well. At the AHL level, having scored 45 points in 37 games with the Marlies so far this year. And last season, he was able to do the same thing. This is not a one-off situation. He had 32 points in 37 games in his first pro season or part of a first pro season. We know he's a highly touted prospect. We saw what he could do in the World Juniors. Of course, he got injured at one point, but he's been able to show skill and ability and production at every level he's played at. Don't know if he's ready to do it yet at the NHL level, but there's only one way to find out, and that is to give him some top six ice time, hopefully some power play minutes. Yeah, so definitely it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nylander in the NHL. If you're in a really deep league, and let's say you've already clinched your playoffs and you just want to take a flyer on someone, eh, worse guys to add than one of the most highly touted prospects. Like Matt Martin. Right, if you don't need the hits. And that takes us to the end of this episode of Keeping Carlson. Brian, what an episode this has been. We've talked about so many players, all the trades, the injuries, outjuries. Woo, this has been a blast. Hopefully you, the listeners, have enjoyed this show. If you liked it, let us know. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, if you could be so kind as to give us a five-star review on iTunes, that would be amazing. We have the patron program that you've heard us talk about on previous episodes. If you want to learn more about that, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We actually have a patron cast coming this Wednesday. We're going to talk about all the trades from the trade deadline and basically anything that the patrons want to talk about because it's up to them to ask questions it's their show and we thank the patrons who are supporting the show every week thanks to our new sponsors at SeatGeek you can get that $20 discount by putting in the offer code KEEPING at their website or in the app I think that's all I've got to say Brian so how about we cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits Alright, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, War on Ice, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.